0: Good morning and happy Sunday to you. This is Joshua Matthews bringing you Closing Arguments here on KMBZ Radio, 98.1 FM, 980 AM here in the Kansas City area. This morning we're talking about an issue that comes up quite a lot and a question that a lot of people have when they're going through the process of divorce. As you know, here on Closing Arguments, we spend our time talking about the legal issues that affect you your family and your finances and uh, this one is one of the most important and one of the most common questions that we get anytime we're talking about any kind of a split and so I want to discuss it today Uh, you know the clash may have asked the question back in 1982 should I stay or should I go Um, that seems to be the first thing on a lot of people's mind when they're facing a potential divorce is whether or not they should leave the marital home this is an important question because it has ramifications both in terms of custody and in terms of assets and debts. It's very common uh, statistically for women to file for divorce and, uh, or even just talk about filing for divorce and ask husbands to leave, uh, the idea being that mom and the kids will be able to stay. And this is assuming those cases where there are kids that mom and the kids can stay there in the house and dad can go stay with a friend for a while or stay in a hotel for a while and and they can try to work on figuring out what's happening. The problem is the result of that. The problem is you create a status quo. You create a kind of a de facto plan. And de facto plans are always problematic uh, in the courts. The reason is that it's very easy for the court to maintain the status quo. So if... It's just as easy, or just as uh, if there's no specific benefit to making significant changes or moving people around, then the court's not going to do it. So if you're already out of the house and you've got a new place where you've obviously been able to stay, even if it's only for a few weeks, and mom and the kids are still in the house, there's really no good reason for the court to, to modify that. It, it might be just as well. It, it, there's no reason that, that things are better with you out of the house as a father. But uh, since you're already out, why have everybody switch? And those are the kinds of things that we have to be concerned about. Unfortunately, that means that we're often playing two different roles. We have to be thinking about our kids and our families from an emotional standpoint while also considering the legal and strategical aspects of uh, of what it is that we need to be doing in order to make sure that we protect ourselves in the divorce process. With regards to a marital home, once you're out, I would say probably 95% of the time, you can count on probably not going back in. And, and in fact, in a very large number of those, never, in fact, stepping foot inside that property again. Uh, very often what we'll see is, is someone, and again, in this case, uh, just... To keep it simple, we're going to talk about a dad who's moved out, although it's certainly not always the case. But we have dad moves out. He goes to stay someplace else. Uh, mom and the kids are in the house. Dad wants to get his things. All of a sudden, we've got a problem. Well, I don't really want you in the house. It's confusing for the kids. I don't trust you. Um, we can't be around one another, etc. And so what we end up doing a lot of times is simply being forced to get a list, and we'll have a a dad put together a list of what things he uh, owns, what things are his personal items, what things he's requesting, and then mom or whoever's still in the house uh, collects those things and boxes them up um, very often just to kind of be set unceremoniously in the driveway uh, for dad or his friends or someone to pick up on some Saturday afternoon. The problem is, who knows what kind of stuff they've got. Uh, It's impossible to remember all the little uh, knick-knack things. I mean, I've got boxes, and I know a lot of people have boxes of stuff that that I moved the last time I I moved houses that uh, still haven't been opened. In fact, I think I've got boxes that I've moved to at least two different houses that haven't been opened yet. And maybe you do, too. Uh, what's in those boxes I don't remember but I do remember I wanted it badly enough that I kept those boxes and that I moved them time and time again and so there must be something in there I want Uh, sometimes uh, it's things that I probably really don't need and uh, my wife's probably right when she says I need to get rid of it but some of those things are are items that I can need or will need or might want to look at they're just not something that I need all the time Uh, I'm not a person who looks at my high school yearbooks but that doesn't mean I want them to be thrown away Now, I might remember if I'm making a list to ask for my high school yearbooks, but I might not remember uh, that I had some project I did in the second or third grade that my parents saved and that I received five or six years ago, and it's put into a box, and if I don't ask for it, there's a very good chance I'm not going to get it. And so that's one of the things that we face when moving out of a house is that the contents of the house become alien to us. They become something that uh, we can't feel, we can't touch, we can't see. We can only talk about um, in the sense of asking permission to receive those things back if we can remember what they all are. And that's a really difficult position to put people in, not only because it makes it tough to get your things, but also because it means that now you're asking permission from someone to obtain your own items, your own things, your own belongings, and that's always going to create resentment. And as I've said on this show time and time and time again, when it comes to divorce and custody cases, the last thing we want is resentment. The last thing we want... Uh, are opportunities for, for two people who who share the parenting responsibility for one or more children to have negative feelings towards one another because, frankly, the kids don't deserve it. Um, one of the other messages I've, I've, I've talked about a lot on this program is the idea that adult people make these decisions. Uh, you picked her. She picked you, that kind of thing. Um it's a bed that you've made and that you've got a lie in, and uh, so your problems are effectively your problems. The ones who don't have a voice, the ones who don't have any control over the situation are also the ones who don't have any culpability, and that's the children. And so they don't deserve to have parents who resent one another because they internalize that and they feel that, and uh, it, it's very damaging to them. So we want to try to avoid those situations, and that means not putting yourself into a situation where you're having to ask permission to get your socks or your winter clothes or a parka that you had put away. So those are some of the things that you want to be thinking about. The other issue is that once you've left that house, actually getting the house itself back in terms of as part of any kind of a a divorce decree or any kind of a settlement is, again, going to be that much more difficult. It's just so much easier for the court to say or for wife's attorney to say, hey, look, you know, they're already here, you're already out, let's just keep things the way they are. So as soon as you leave that house you've really uh, created quite uh, an enormous obstacle to trying to uh, obtain that house as part of any settlement agreement or as part of any decree from the court. One of the things that will come up occasionally is uh, the question, well, only my name's on the house. Well, as we've always talked about, whose name is on an asset or a debt in a marriage is mostly not important in terms of the distribution of those assets and debts. Now, if the asset is non marital, in other words, if you bought and owned that home and had it free and clear before you were married, then that may be a non marital asset, and the court might say, yes, that's going back to whoever had it before the marriage, and that's very common. Although, even then, there are situations where that may not entirely be true depending on how long you lived there as a married couple um, you're paying taxes, you're paying utilities, uh, your your partner might be paying some portion of that or you're pooling your funds and resources to pay for that and so they can claim that they have made some contribution into that asset so there are always those questions that can arise um, but in in general terms who who has the house, who owns the house, whose name is on the house, who has the mortgage really doesn't matter if those things happen during the term of the marriage because uh, those are all going to be marital assets and debts. The next issue we face when talking about leaving the house is the custody situation. Uh, custody of the kids is always going to be a major concern. Uh, I was reading an article the other day that talked about how things are becoming uh, much more fair, uh, much more uh, at least uh, fair in terms of, of gender equality Because in 1980, I think it was, 60% of custody cases resulted in mom having sole custody, and now only 45% of those cases result in mom having sole custody. I want to talk about what custody is. It's one of the most difficult situations that we face as attorneys every single day because not only do our clients misuse the terms, but the media misuses the terms, even the courts misuse the terms, the statutes misuse the terms. It's very difficult because people have expectations about what custody means. Custody, at least in terms of Missouri and Kansas, refers to the right of a parent to be involved in decision-making regarding health, education, and welfare. That's primarily what custody is. It has nothing to do with with actually holding the child within your physical custody. That's not really what what custody is. Now, we will use those terms sometimes, physical custody as opposed to legal custody. Um, They're used a little bit more in Missouri than in Kansas, but typically when we're talking about physical custody, we are talking about whether or not both parents share the custody of the child or the children uh, in terms of whether or not they can have them in their homes. But Most of the time when we're talking about custody, and if we're talking about sole versus joint, the only discussion we're really having is whether or not one parent has the right to be involved in decisions regarding health, education, and welfare. Uh, In a sole custody situation, only the parent with sole custody gets to make those decisions. In a joint custody situation, those decisions are made jointly. It does not refer to any specific kind of splitting of the time with the child. Uh, I've said it many times, you can have joint custody from prison or you can see your kids every single day but not have joint custody. Uh, one has nothing to do with the other. So when we talk about custody, when we talk about joint or sole custody, all we're talking about is those decision-making responsibilities and rights. There will never be a situation As a parent, where you have the unilateral decision-making power to allow the other parent to be involved in the child's life or not be involved in the child's life as part of a custody decision. There are certain parenting provisions that we do occasionally use, and this is very rare. Um, Usually when we have an absentee father or mother, somebody who's not there all the time, who doesn't show up for court, then the court might authorize a parenting plan, for example, that says that any parenting time will be by agreement of the parties. And so that essentially means that if you don't have an agreement, there's no parenting time, giving the parent who primarily has the child the opportunity to have a kind of a veto power. So that is uh, essentially the power to make that decision. But, of course, if the parent abuses that in any way, if the other parent does want to see the child and and the parent who has the child primarily doesn't allow them to, uh, then they're going to go back to court and they're going to get a new order because the only way to prevent a parent Permanently from having contact with a child is to terminate their parental rights. It's another question that we get constantly. It's a phone call that comes in all the time. Um, how do I terminate somebody's parental rights? Or uh, in other cases, how do I give up my rights so that I don't have to pay child support anymore? The answer is you don't. These are not voluntary things and these are not things that are done uh, directly uh, in a, in a a case of a mother against a father or vice versa. These are cases that are brought, uh, excuse me, brought by prosecutors. Um, The Missouri statute does have some interesting language in it uh, that we have attempted to take advantage of in the past. There is a section uh, that says if a motion uh, or a petition to terminate a par- parent's rights are brought in by anyone other than the prosecutor then the prosecutor must be joined as a party which certainly seems to to indicate that somebody else could bring one Uh, But in our experience, uh, at least in Jackson County, Missouri, where we tried to do it uh, on on a couple of different occasions, actually, uh, we were prevented both times and, and the case law seemed pretty clear that there was no private cause of action there. In Kansas, I'm not aware of any private cause of action that could be brought for those purposes. So when we start with the presumption that a parent is a parent, whether we want them to be or whether we like them or not, then we have to look at what the obligations and rights and responsibilities of a parent are. Uh, Missouri statute is is very clear. I like the language of it because it makes it really easy to understand. Uh, It says that that the child has a right, that there must be uh, continuing, frequent, meaningful contact between uh, a child and both natural parents. It also talks about the fact that one of the major custody uh, factors that the court looks at in, in making custody decisions is which parent is most likely to uh, foster that relationship, that positive, uh, continuing, frequent, meaningful relationship between the child and the other parent. So if in fact your your goal in life is to try to limit that contact, you're really failing on what is one of the most important factors in a child custody determination. And although I'm talking about the Missouri statute language, this works in both states. It's very similar. Uh, and that's going to be true virtually anywhere you are. You've got to keep in mind that the, that the courts who hear these cases, each judge might get a couple of thousand of these cases a year. That's possible. Most of them will ultimately uh, resolve themselves. But maybe 100, 150, 200 per year will go to trial. That means the judge is hearing two, three, four of these cases every single week. And it's always the same things. It's a lot of the same allegations. It's a lot of the same complaints. And if you put yourself into the judge's shoes and you think about what that means, you start to realize that they're really not that interested in what your personal complaints are about your spouse or about the, the father or mother of your child because they've heard them so many times. And, and, and their response is going to be, well, you know what, it's not my fault you picked somebody like that to have kids with. What do you want me to do about it? We're stuck with the statute. The statute says that that continuing, meaningful, frequent contact is going to take place, and so my job as a judge is to make sure that it takes place. In terms of where we place the child primarily, though... And in most states, and in Kansas, we're going to actually use that term primary placement of the child. Missouri doesn't like that language. Missouri doesn't want anything being referred to as primary because that potentially makes another parent feel secondary. And so instead of having primary placement, what we talk about in Missouri is whose address is the designated address. The address designated as the child's address for mailing and educational purposes.